Revolutions are interesting facets of mankind. The French, Russian, and Chinese revolutions all teach us the danger of a revolution that seeks to destroy the past rather than build a better future. The American Revolution was unique in that it sought to build from the past a better future, not to eliminate and to destroy everything in the past, but rather to learn from our past. The French Revolution effectively eliminated God. Once they had killed and driven out all the religious leaders they could in France, they installed at Notre Dame uh, a prostitute as head of that church and declared a secular state. They didn't learn much about the American Revolution, did they? And it became a secular state, a nation that was so far from God that it was almost unrecognizable uh, in the days that come. And no wonder today there are more Muslim mosques than churches in France. As we see they eliminated God, they also sought to control the masses. This has always been the pattern. We have to eliminate God, and then we can control the masses. That both the Russian and the Chinese followed a similar path. Let me just take you on a highlight through a few dimensions of both the French and the, and the Chinese Revolution. The French Revolution was known as the Reign of Terror. It was uh, the public uh, killing of all those who were perceived to be enemies in that time, and it was be out of that period of the French Revolution that a dictator would rise named Napoleon. We recognize that name, may not know that the French Revolution gave way for his power and his authority. But in the French Revolution, one thing that was clear, it would be authoritarian. That is, there would be no debate, there would be no constitution that would give rights to people. In the French Revolution, institutional powers were used to force the revolutionary powers. So that which was in power would use force to make sure that you complied with all that was was said and done. Uh, the only speech that was tolerated was approved speech. In other words, you had to be quiet lest you find yourself in trouble with the state. We were on vacation last week, and as we were spending a little bit of time in warm weather and in a pool, we got in a dialogue with a couple from Seattle. He's an executive with Facebook. She's an executive with a gaming company. And when they found out that we were from Orange County, a few expletives came out of their mouth to describe how they felt about that. <laughs> Which I have learned just not to be offended. It's just not worth it. But I wanted to find common ground. I wanted to find a way we could dialogue. And before our few days there was over, uh, they had become pretty good friends. And we had a really lot of great dialogue. She proclaimed to be an atheist. And Tammy asked her, are you, a, you know, a, a sincere atheist or a doubting atheist? And she was confused and suddenly had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I valued them as people. We found that there was a lot that we had in common. He said to me, he said, I am a white man who works at Facebook. I do not open my mouth all day long, lest I lose my job. Now think about that. And these are people who are liberal, atheists, 
live in Seattle who cannot even open their mouth at work without the danger of losing their job. They said it's gone too far. I really believe one of the things that happens when we go too far as a society, that there is a springboard effect that pushes people back, even those who you would not expect to be pushed back into more of a centralist position. Also, in the French Revolution, they sought to destroy Christianity and establish a secular society. As you're going to learn today, we're doing this series right now, this mini-series within a bigger series on one world government. Today we're gonna focus on religion a little bit in the one world government. Let's go to China, however. China, the cultural revolution under Mao Zedong, the idea was to cancel and destroy the four olds, as he called them. One was old customs had to go. Anything that was familiar with you as a custom would have to be eliminated from society. The old culture would have to go. There was something wrong with it. Old habits would have to go and old ideas would have to go. And in the process, only anyone among us could guess how many millions of people died in the, the China Revolution under Mao Zedong. Some people call Jesus a revolutionary. He was, but of a different kind of revolutionary. Listen to his words in Matthew chapter five, verses 17 and 18. He said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. He didn't come to wipe out Judaism. He didn't come to wipe out the Old Testament. He understood that the basis of Christianity was Judaism. He said, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now let's unpack that passage just a little bit before we move forward. We understand, first of all, that he was a builder, not a destroyer. And as Christians, we need to be builders, not destroyers. We need to find a way, even those with those people that we disagree, find some common ground to build a future and then give opportunity to present the cause of Jesus Christ. He also honored the word of God. Notice what he said. I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. He said, but I came to fulfill them. That is to bring them to fruition, to bring them to completion. You know, the Bible says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What that means is that we are to be under the control, that there should be a culmination in our life where the, the evidence of our life is not us, but it's him in us. It's Christ in you living out his life so that the answers that you give are the answers that come from the heart of God. He also acknowledged that this world is not a permanent plan. You notice what he said here. He said, for assuredly I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away. He said the heavens as you know them and the earth as you know it are going to experience a transformation in the age to come. So don't get too locked down into what you have and what you see here because there is more and there is better coming. This is why he said, you know, you can spend all your life trying to accumulate stuff and money and positions and titles and yet what will you have in the life to come? He said lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust does corrupt nor thieves break in and steal. And so he reminds us that this world is not 
the permanent plan. Also, the prophecy will be fulfilled down to the smallest detail. Now, he uses a couple of terms there that may not be familiar to you, a jot and a tittle. And those are two uh, terms that are used in the Greek and the Hebrew language to describe the smallest character. It would be like a saying a comma. He said even the commas, even the periods, all of those are going to be fulfilled. The Word of God is the living, breathing, revelation-inspired Word of God. When you read the Word of God, you're encountering God. You're not reading a book. Some people say, well, you know, I'm gonna read the book, I'm gonna master the Bible, well, good luck. <laughs> it's not about just learning it, it's not just about reading it. You see, there's a dynamic there that it's living. So when you read it, you're encountering God where you are in that particular point in your life. And the applications that are coming are fresh, the revelations are new every morning because God wants you to have fresh manna, fresh food every single day as you encounter him. That's why it's important to read the word of God, to memorize the word of God, to live out the word of God, read it aloud, read it quietly, but read the word of God every single day because it's going to bring life to your very soul and to your very heart. Sometimes we'll, uh, I'll find myself in a situation where I, I wanna, I think, well, I need to read the Bible. Have you ever had that moment? I need to read the Bible because you just, there's a craving or there's a longing or there's a discipline or, you know, whatever it is, and you think, well, you know what, gee, I really, but I really need to go do that, whatever that is. But you think, you, you just kind of break down that for a minute and say, well, I'll just read it for five minutes. You pick it up and you start reading it and you go, this is pretty good. And five minutes turns into, 10 minutes and 15 minutes. Because you all of a sudden you realize there's something different happening here. There's a dynamic happening in my life with the Spirit of God that is so unique. And if you don't do that, you're gonna miss out on so much of what God wants to show you and give you. And some people say, well, you know, I really don't understand the Bible that much. Do you realize in some ways you don't even have to understand it? Just read it. Just read it. And ask the, here's the prayer I always do. Holy Spirit, will you show me, help me to understand what I'm reading? Sometimes we get in such a hurry, we want to read the Bible through in a year. Well, how about reading one chapter a year and asking God to teach you from that one chapter? Now, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but I'm, what I'm saying is dig deep into the Word of God and let God speak to you. Let me talk to you about the confusion of the day that we're living in today. If you don't already know it or if you don't find that there's enough of it yet, let me give you some more. This headline, California's proposed curriculum promotes chants to the Aztec gods. Now, if you want to read that a little bit deeper, you can go into it. Um, you can find it on AmericanFaith.com. That's our site, our media, news and media site that we've launched. But here's what it basically says. that We have to undo the Eurocentric God of California. That is the God of the Bible. Now, so silly are they, they don't understand that the Eurocentric God they speak of is actually a Middle Eastern God. He's a Jewish man named Jesus. But the idea is that we have to get rid of that, and we've all been, been slighted by the supremacy of whiteness in America. And so if we can just wipe all of that out and bring in the Aztec gods and begin these chants to these gods that, by the way, were constantly offering humans as sacrifices. 
and teaching kids to chant in a schoolroom, in a classroom. It's so absurd, it doesn't even register, does it? You know, when things get that weird, let me give you a clue, it's demonic. You see, there's dumb, and then there's demonic. And then there's dumb demons. You got them all there, right? Let me give you another one. How about this one? The Pope to host an interfaith prayer at Babel. Now, you almost laugh and think, well, that can't be true. It is true. It indeed is true. Now, Tower of Babel, if you go back into your studies of the, book, of the Bible, you'll find in Genesis chapter 10, you begin to see this, this coming of this kingdom of Babylon and then the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. And, and, and what the Tower of Babel was is what's called a, a ziggurat. It's, a, it's an ancient uh, emblem or a standard that was used to get in touch with the gods. We have one in our nation's capital. It's called the Washington Monument. That's a ziggurat. It's based on an Egyptian model. There are three world cities in the world. I don't know if you know this, but one is in Washington, one is uh, Rome, and the other one is in London. All three of those are separate and considered world cities within a city, and all three of those have an Egyptian ziggurat in the middle of them. Well, that's for another sermon. Let me go back to the Pope. So the Pope makes his way to ancient Babylon. He's going to have an interfaith prayer with Muslims. But he's doing it at the site of where God destroyed the one world government, one world religion of that day. Only you and I could speculate on what that means. But I bring it to your attention for you to notice that there's something happening in our world that is beyond what we expect. Mike Bickle wrote these words. He said, the rise of false Christs and prophets will help establish alliances between all false religions, which include the occult, New Age, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and liberal Christianity with a commitment to moral tolerance that paves the way from a one-world religion. Now, those are pretty insightful words, and to bring this idea together to establish an alliance. You see, what happens in world religion, one-world religion, is we have to come up with, or they have to come up with, a terminology that everyone can relate to. Here's one you've heard often. Are you a Christian? No, but I am a spiritual person. Satan is a spiritual person. That doesn't mean anything. You see, the most, the most distant person in the days ahead will be an atheist because he has no God, and there's going to be an influx of gods. In fact, even the beast himself, the Antichrist, will be called on the nations to worship him. Let me show you, let me take you to the diagram and just kind of walk you back through kind of where we are in some of this. This is one you've seen before, and, but I want to just take you from where it is. So if you go to the far left, the great falling away, I believe we're in the early stages of that now. What that means is those who profess to be Christians are falling away from the faith. Now they would say, well, I still have faith in God, but the faith, the faith with a definite article in front of it describes the teachings that we hold true. That is the word of the apostles, the word of the prophets, the scriptures. So it says they will fall away from the faith, and what will happen is they will just kind of disappear from the scene. They'll do it from all different kind of reasons. Well, I don't need the church to be a Christian. If you make that statement, I question if you are a Christian. 
Because Jesus Christ died to establish the church. The church is his body, the bride, that he will wed at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And to say that I don't need it, or it's not important, or I've gotten too big for it, or I know too much, is to miss the whole point of the entire scriptures. Let's just put it where it is. So what happens next, the, the rapture of the church, what is this? This is the taking away of the church. We'll talk about this a little bit in a few moments. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is departing, and that opens the way for the great tribulation period where there, are, there is no restraint on society. Imagine if there's nothing restraining. Uh, I just read, I believe it was in Seattle, where they're going to put $2 million back into the police budget because they figured out that it didn't work. Well, I think, you know, I think my three-year-old granddaughter could have told him that. That won't work. If you don't restrain evil, evil will overcome you. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Imagine if there are no Christians, if there is no Holy Spirit on planet Earth restraining evil on our planet. What would this planet look like? Well, it would look like the tribulation period. Now, the tribulation period begins, and it's seven years in its duration, but you'll notice the great tribulation begins. This is Matthew 24, 21, and what that means is that's the revelation of the Antichrist when he then begins to install the mark of the beast. So you'll notice that if you're a true Christian, you're gone, but if you're living in the middle of the tribulation and you take the mark of the beast, the Bible says you forfeited your soul. You can never be saved. So what's happening is everything leading up to that point is, is the enemies preparing mankind to conform to a future world government. So what happens is the great tribulation begins, the mark of the beast. Then you'll notice toward the end of that seven-year period is the battle of Armageddon. And then it is the return of Christ, the second coming. And this is where he puts an end to all the enemies. Uh, a great chapter to read if you want to is Psalm 2. It says the nations have assembled and all the kings of the earth, they come and they, they stand against the, the Lord and against his anointed. And they said, let us break the bonds. Let us break the restraints on us. And I love God's response. He said, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh as he brings them to derision. Well, what is the religion of the last days? Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. And I'm gonna take you through a series of scriptures here to kind of help prepare the way for you to understand what's being said. It says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, sometimes when we read that, we think, well, there's going to be somebody who's going to say, I'm Jesus or I'm a Christ. No, the idea here is that a false Christ or a false prophet is someone who promises that if you put your trust in them, that they will find a solution. And whenever that happens, you know that this is what he's talking about. I recently heard our president say, you need to trust your government. You need to put your faith in our government. Now, I only say that to contrast because the previous administration under Donald Trump, and I'm not here to promote either one or put either one down, I'm just stating fact, said you do not put your trust in government, you put your trust in God. Now, what, you, what happens here is there's going to be these false Christs and false prophets, and one of the things they're going to do is perform great signs and wonders. Some of those will be fake, but they will give you the idea that they're real. Some will be real, but their source is not of God. 
the sources of the enemy. You remember that when, uh, when Moses came before Pharaoh in Egypt, that those, those false prophets, those soothsayers, those, those uh, wise men that he had gathered around him, they could perform three or four of the miracles that Moses could, but there came a point at which they could not. You see, there's a limit on counterfeit. Real always goes on. Counterfeit has to come to a stop. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. What does this mean? I don't like the message of the Bible. This is, a, this is how it would, it would play itself out. That message is too strong. That's too hard. I don't want that. All I really want to know is how to have, live a full and abundant life. I just want to be free. I just want to be prosperous. I just want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. That's what he's talking about. He said that they will not endure sound teaching. Let me tell you, when you read the Bible in its entirety, there's some things that are going to go against your grain. That's why you need sandpaper. You see, the Bible is heavenly sandpaper. Anybody here admit you got a few rough edges? Right? Hey, sandpaper won't hurt. People say, well, you Christians are all brainwashed. Amen. Our brain's dirty. It needs a good washing once in a while. Amen? Hey, do you want everybody to know what you're thinking about all the time? There you go. I made my point. But look what it says. They'll have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So what does that mean? I'm going to find someone who'll tell me what I believe and agree with me. That's itching ears. Just tell me what I want. Tell me everything's fine. Everything's going to be wonderful. We're all in good place. They will accumulate themselves teachings to suit their own passions. Notice, what is it suiting? Their passions, their desires, and will turn away from listening to, notice the definite article, the truth. The truth, the Word of God. When you turn away from the Word of God, or how about, I've heard people say this my entire ministry. I know the Bible says that, but don't you think that was for another time? Don't you think there's a lot of interpretations? Well, here's what I do know about the Bible. The Bible says what it says, and it means what it says. Now, my challenge is to try to understand that and put that into my life. And what happens is if what I'm believing goes against the grain of what it says, then I'm wrong. It's not wrong. And that's an important thing to remember. But notice what it says. They will turn away from the truth and they'll wander into what? A myth. A myth is like the Aztec chanting. That's a myth. It's something that's not based on the word of God. It's something that's not true. A myth would be your horoscope. People ask me all the time, what sign are you born under? And I said, the sign of the blood of Christ. Now I know some of you are into that. But let me just tell you this. Your life is not based on fate. It's based on faith. Your destiny is not determined by the alignment of the stars. Your destiny is determined by the morning star, the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, the King of Kings, the soon returning Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12. Many will be offended. Have you ever lived in a time where more people are offended than right now? You don't have to do anything to offend someone. You know, wear your mask wrong. They're offended. 
I recently saw a video in Bed Bath & Beyond where some woman went in without a mask and one of the workers, maybe you, how many of you saw this video? This is amazing. You've gotta see this video. She walks in, she doesn't have a mask on, and one of the clerks tells her to put her mask on. Apparently she must have said, I'm not gonna put my mask on. She tackles her to the ground. Two more Bed Bath & Beyond people, employees, tackle and they're, they're beating this woman up on the floor. And I'm looking at this going, this is insane. How'd you like to be on the other end of that lawsuit? I was beat up by three Bed Bath & Beyond women. But you know what it says is people are offended. They're offended by things that don't even relate to them, that somehow don't fit into that world that they believe. And it says they will betray one another. Betraying one another. That is, I'm going to go against you. I'm going to turn you in. I'm going to report you. I'm going to betray you. It's the kind of things that happen, you know, when you saw in the Eastern Bloc countries after World War II where there was a betrayal and they would turn people in for special favors of the government. It's the idea that happened when those who were hiding Jews during uh, World War II, they would, they would turn in their neighbor and then, and then they would somehow feel justified that they were better people because of that very thing. And it says, and many, then it says, and they will hate one another. Do you see how counter this is to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me just go through it. We don't have a right to be offended. Well, I'm just offended. Well, get over it. <laughs> right? You see, the cross was an offense to God, but Jesus died on it for you. What greater offense could you have that would justify bad behavior than Jesus could when he didn't even open his mouth in the greatest offense on planet Earth? You see, offense has as its foundation entitlement. If I think I'm somebody, I get offended. I kind of figured out I'm nobody. And I should be probably. They, people probably should offend me because I'm not perfect. But my reaction can never be to be offended. So we're, we don't have the right to be offended. We don't have the right to betray people. You ever wanted to get even? Anybody here just raise your hand. Everybody, I'll raise my hand. Anybody ever want to get even? The rest of you'd lie about other stuff too. <laughs> hey, it's human nature. Somebody did something to me, you know, I'm gonna get even, but, I, but I'm gonna do it quietly so you won't know it's me. <laughs> the best one is, how about the anonymous letter? Anybody ever got an anonymous letter? We'll get one of those every once in a while, you know, and, and they, they wanna just unload on you. But here's what we've learned around here. If it doesn't have a return address when we get a letter, we put it in the trash can. Now, some of you are going, dang it, he didn't read my letter. <laughs> if you don't have the guts to put your name on it, we're not going to read it. <laughs> Betray one another. Hate one another. I might hate sin, but I can't hate the sinner. Do you realize people who don't know God are doing what comes naturally? You see, people who don't know God and don't have the spirit of God, don't have the truth of God, they're living out this life that with all they have in terms of resources is what they've been taught apart from God. Don't get offended that the lost person acts like a lost person. Get offended that the saved person acts like a lost person. 
You see, we're supposed to live out our life supernaturally. There's supposed to be something different. That doesn't make us perfect. Anybody here perfect? If, yeah, you're dismissed. <laughs> Look what it says. Then what will happen? Then many false prophets will arise. So what is kind of the turning point? When you see people being offended, betraying, and hating one another, that's one of the marks. Now, are we at that place? Not sure. We're going to give you more information here as we go. And because of lawlessness, well, that's certainly a part of our world today, will abound, and the, and the love of many will grow cold. So these are characteristics of what happens, and these are some of the things that are going to be taking place in the last days. Let's look at the leader of the last days for a moment. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 8 verses 23 through 25, and in the latter time of the kingdom, their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness. Now, that's an important piece. You'll notice here, if, you, if, you, if you're looking in your Bible, and I always go back and do this, underline the things in your Bible that you want to highlight and go back and think about. The transgressors have reached their fullness. What does that mean? That means when sin worldwide reaches a high point or a culmination point. Jesus talked about in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, where there was so much evil in the land that it, it, it indicated the world was going to come to an end. It was going to change. It says, a king, this is the Antichrist, shall arise having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. And this idea of sinister here is the idea of satanic. So there's a, there's a working of darkness behind the scene here. His power will be mighty, but not his own power. So the Antichrist doesn't have power. There's an unholy trinity, okay? There's the dragon, that's Satan. There's the Antichrist, that's the beast, okay? Then there's the false prophet. So neither the false prophet nor the Antichrist have power of their own. They're getting it all from the dragon. The false prophet is the one who comes, and he's pushing the agenda of the Antichrist. So it says here that he shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. So one of the marks, he's going to be a destroyer, and he's going to prosper in the way. He shall destroy the mighty. That is, your power, your position, none of those things are going to matter in this age. He will destroy that, and also the holy people. Now, the holy people is not a reference to you. It's a reference to the Jewish nation. And even if they weren't following after God, God would call them a separated people, a holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper. So deception will be on the foreburner of all he does under his rule. He shall exalt himself where? In his heart. You see, all pride comes from the heart, doesn't it? If you ever feel like you're better than someone, where did it come from? Well, it's pride. It's coming from your heart. If you ever feel that way, you just have to stop and go, wait a minute, I'm no different than that other person. I'm a human being created in the image of God. I might have had a better opportunity, I might have a better education, I might make more money, but I am not better than that human being. He shall exalt himself in his heart, he shall destroy many in their prosperity. So what's going to happen? Your riches can't help you. I was living next door, uh, we lived next door to a Jewish family in Columbus, Ohio, became very good friends, still friends to this day. And uh, he's an orthodontist, very successful. And he was, when we first moved in, he was a little afraid I was German because of my last name. 
And uh, he came over to check it out and make sure I wasn't German. And I said, well, um, I'm Dutch, but how come you got three German cars? <laughs> but we had a great time. He said, you know, what I came to realize was that, that nothing really got Jews out except money out of the Holocaust. So I've made it a practice to really store up a lot of money. And we talked, we dialogued over the years, and then he came to me one day and he said, I, I've got a new revelation. I said, what is it? He said, I don't think the money's what we, I need. I said, I think I need a gun. Because anybody that knows that I have money is gonna got the gun. They're gonna come get my money. And I said, you know, Ron, here's the, here's the truth. The truth is you just need a relationship with God. He goes, man, you'd make a good rabbi. I said, I don't look good in hats. <laughs> Too much moose in the hair. I can't look good in hats. But you see, we all try to figure out how our, our resources are going to solve future problems. Can I tell you that God is your refuge and a very present help in time of trouble? Yeah. Though the earth quake, though the mountains slip into the midst of the sea, there is a city whose builder and maker is God, and God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. Be still, he says, the psalmist says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the heavens. I will be exalted in the earth. The God of Jacob is with us. Be still and know his voice. He says here, he shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. You know what that means? You don't vote this guy out of office. This guy is destroyed by God himself. In his book, One or Two, Peter Jones says this, thousands of progressive in academics, the media and politics, along with the liberal church leaders, are joining to produce a pagan cosmology to repair our deconstructed world. What does that mean? That means that you've got all these progressive academics, media, and even liberal Christians who are saying, our world is broken, we can fix it. There's a Hebrew word for that. I want you to write it down. You got it? You ready? In your phone or wherever, write it down. You ready? Dumb. <laughs> George Otis in The Twilight Libreth says, strongholds were born whenever individual societies and cultures welcome evil powers into their midst. The enemy gains dominion over human systems, political, economic, and religious. Despite the countervailing influence of Judeo-Christian values, dark powers have managed to secure a foothold Europe, America, and I would add, and beyond. What is the promise of the last days? You go, boy, I'm, I need a promise. It took me down a, a hard path there, but I need some hope. Matthew 24, verse 36 through 42. But of the day and the hour, no one knows. Do you realize the Bible teaches the doctrine of eminence? Now, you don't have to remember that word, but what it means is right now. Right now. God could come back right now. Well, doesn't he have to do this? Don't we have to get more Bibles out into the unknown people groups? No. No, we don't. Well, I thought the gospel had to be preached in all the kingdoms. It will. Revelation 14, God's going to send an angel proclaiming the everlasting kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom to every person on planet earth. He will make sure during the tribulation period every single person hears the witness he will then send in 144,000 Jews 
12,000 from every tribe proclaiming the gospel. Then the two witnesses, Elijah and Enoch, or Elijah and Moses are going to come. We're not sure who they are. They're going to preach the gospel. Three primary witnesses during the tribulation period. Every single person will hear. Why doesn't God entrust that to us? Because we're lazy. God knows we'll do the best we can, but God's going to make sure the job gets done. It says, no one knows the time, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. So everyone outside of that, of that kingdom there, every, everyone outside of Noah's sphere of influence, that is his family, they were going on as if nothing was going to change, and then it happened just like that. That's imminence. Just like that, it was too late. Just like that, the door of the ark was shut. Just like that, the world began to flood. Just like that, it was all over, and there was no going back. There will be marrying, giving in marriage until that day that Noah, look, entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. The rapture of the church is the ark of Noah. That's the equivalent. God says, I'm going to take you out. It'll be too late. Eminence, eminence, eminence. I'm coming, I'm coming. He says, look upward, look always, wait for the Lord to come. It says here, then, notice what it says, then will the coming of the Son of Man be, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other not. One will be taken, the other one left. Can you imagine, you're on the job, all of a sudden you're working with your colleague, and you look over, and one person's gone. That's what it says. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. He says, watch. What does that mean? That means to prepare, to wake up. Are you ready for the return of Christ today? If Christ came today, would you be with him or would you be the one left? That's the question the Bible asks. Therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So what's, a, what's the summary? What's he telling us here? No one knows the time of his return. If somebody tells you they know the day and the hour, run from them. They're a false prophet. Always, 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 always. Secondly, it will happen suddenly without warning. God is not going to announce, okay, everybody get right with God because I'm coming at noon. Not going to happen. The great disappearing will occur. Can you imagine a planet where every true believer is removed instantaneously, the Spirit of God is removed instantaneously, the explanations are gonna be, well, aliens got them. I guarantee you aliens will be the first explanation of the disappearing masses on planet Earth. And what does Jesus tell us? Jesus says, be prepared. How do I do that? I watch. I watch eagerly. I've got one eye here on planet Earth doing the best job I can with what assignment I have with my family, my job, and everything else, and I've got one eye watching upward. I'm looking for his return. I'm hoping, I'm expecting, I'm doing the best I can to keep my eye there, and I'm doing my best to be a good steward here on planet Earth. That's what it means to be a believer. It doesn't mean to just say, well, I'm washing my hands. Let's get a better clap. We got one started, let's. See, what it doesn't mean Please don't ever say this. I can't wait for the Lord to, to, to come back so I can leave and all these other people can get what they deserve. Where's the love? We gotta have love. You know, the Bible says God delays his coming that more might come to faith. Isn't that good? 
So we always want to be about our Father's business. We always want to be teaching the kingdom principles and loving people, but also realizing he could come at any moment. And that should give you a sense of urgency about the return of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, and I want you just to bow your heads. I want to, I want to give you an invitation to you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if you've not done that. You can bow your head and, and just repeat the prayer I'm going to pray out loud for you right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were buried in a tomb. You rose from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, to give me the gift of eternal life. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, right now. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life right now, Lord Jesus. If that was your prayer, thank him for this relationship that now has begun with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank him in Jesus' name.